Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Economics for Rebels, the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. Not too long ago, it was an act of rebellion to pursue economics as if nature mattered. This rebellion continues. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the economics of just and sustainable transformations. Conversations with and for those who are ready to act on rapid and radical change for people and planet. Welcome to our podcast. I am your host, Alexandra Kovesh, and you are listening to the Economics for Rebels podcast. Ecological economics is highly critical of mainstream economic thinking and provides new approaches and new solutions to how we could transform the world. However, currently millions of young economists leave their education without even the slightest chance of realizing that what they had been offered is a mere indoctrination with mainstream ideas without real critical thinking or alternatives. Today's guest is J. Christopher Proctor, and we will talk about rethinking economics and other student movements that demand plurality in, in economics education. J. Christopher studied economics, history and politics at the University of Tulsa before doing the economic policies for the Global Transition Master's Program in London and Paris. He is currently a PhD student in economics at the University of Technology of Compiègne and Roma III University. He is an organizer and former trustee of Rethinking Economics and the Curriculum Research Manager at Oikos International. Welcome, Jay Christopher. Thank you, Sandra. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think it was it was in in 2017 in December when. Um, 33 theses of the reformation in economic thinking were pinned to the gates of the London School of Economics. Um, re the rethinking economics movement decided to do that in order to, to try and break with the dogmas of economics and to point out that it is absolutely abnormal that only the neoclassical paradigm is being taught to economic students um, all over the world. Um, the first four points are about the goals of economics and perhaps the most important issue at hand is that we accept that economics is a value-laden social science that is, is supposed to serve humanity and should not stop hiding behind mathematical models um, and should not present uh, economic laws as if they were not social constructs but some forms of natural law. Why do you think that rethinking economics is vital? Is it just these ideas or is it, is it more? No, I think that that's a, a really great starting point because there's, there's a funny thing that you see when you study economics, that if you study just a little bit of economics, you can actually end up in a much worse place than if you'd studied no economics. Uh, so I remember when I was, took my very first economics class in high school, This was the spring of 2010 in the United States. Uh, and we're learning all these beautiful charts and graphs and everything just looked so, so settled. It looked exactly like physics class. And I just couldn't understand why the people in Washington didn't just move the aggregate demand curve to the right so we would have less unemployment. It, it, they can see the same charts I'm seeing. Why, why aren't they doing something about it? Uh, and so, of course, I made the, the mistake or decision to, to stay around for another 10 years and keep trying to understand this. Um, 
But when you're really just at that level of just seeing the results of the theoretical models, you miss everything that goes into them and everything that goes behind them. Um, and so I think from a from an educational perspective, it's quite important because it, it doesn't take a lot to just explain what models are at the beginning before you start teaching them. I think there is then this sort of second question about whether economics is value laden or value free, which even once you've been in economics for decades, you can still fight and disagree about. But even just at, but the, at this level of what are the models um, and are models a literal representation of reality or these helpful tools that we try to think through things, um, that, that from an ed educational perspective, that's so important. Um, I just remember another story. I guess this was two or three years later as the U.S. was still working on our recovery from the, the Great Recession. I was in a um, a town hall event with my member of Congress. So living in Oklahoma, of course, a very Republican member of Congress. Um, and he, he had a big flip chart and he got up and drew us a supply and demand graph and then put a minimum wage into the graph and proved how minimum wages cause employment. It's like, well, of course, but if you did like one more semester of economics, you probably would have read Cardin Kruger and realized that there's some empirical questions, questions about market power, and it's much more complicated than that. But if you didn't, and he was actually an economics major um, at a fairly prestigious university, then that's what you end up with. Um, so I, I do think that that's a really good starting point, and it really um, links in nicely to, to all of these much more um, technical or advanced questions, or even just the, the theoretical questions about which models we're looking at or which schools of thought we want to be represented to, of course, start at like, what are these economic theories? Well, what is this at a very fundamental level that we're doing in this thing we call economics? I'm really glad that you shared this uh, experience with me because uh, I, was, um, I was educated in Scotland in the mid nineties and um, <clears throat> And when I, I was sitting at the macroeconomics class, I was also wondering like, okay, they're drawing all these graphs, but hey, people are living there. You know, there are some, some poor souls who are um, sitting at the, you know, at the worst end of the graph. And why are we not conscious of that? And I thought, well, this must be the fact that I'm coming from Hungary and I had, you know, I had grown up in a in a socialist state. It must be that background that makes me think that. And I'm so happy that you're saying that. You know, a couple of decades later, in 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 a Western society, you know, you had exactly the same thoughts. Um, so I'm not I'm not a weirdo <laughs> in in this sense. Um, anyway, back to our 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 topic. Uh, um, like the second uh, section of the thesis, I, I had the feeling that maybe some ecological economists were also involved in this because it is about accepting the embeddedness of the economy. Um, but of course, it's not possible to, um, to examine uh, uh, the economy in an atomistic approach if we accept this kind of embeddedness that the economy is embedded in the social sphere, the social sphere is embedded in the, uh, in the ecological environment. Um, however, this, this entails such complexity that you surely need different methods um, and skills to be able to understand this complexity. Uh, what, what kind of perspectives, methods or, or skills do you think we need 
um, for this. I think as, a, as an answer to that, I'm actually really glad you brought up the experience of feeling like you were crazy in the 90s, being taught the same things, because it seems like there's been different waves of, of students who have had problems with their economics education. Uh, and very often it's around times when there's more economic troubles than usual. Um, so myself and my, my cohort got really activated by the financial crisis and then the ensuing recessions and eurozone crises uh because we were very much living through a time in which it was quite silly to to present some of the economic models as they were currently constituted um and i, I even remember some of my textbooks were pre-crisis so they just like did not um have anything to say about that i, I specifically remember a box on the irish tiger uh, and what a, a success story that was and how everyone should emulate ireland it's like oh, okay that didn't didn't age well sitting in 2012. Um, but I think what's really changed from, well, I guess, now the 10 years since when I started studying economics is that the, the crisis means something different now. We're no longer talking about the financial crisis. We're talking about the ecological crisis. Uh, we're talking about climate change, biodiversity. And so when I came into the, the movement for economics reform, I was really drawn to a lot of the, the techniques and methods around post-Keynesian economics uh, because it was the most directly geared towards understanding uh, the financial crisis and geared towards the Eurozone crisis and the thing. Um, now I am very much more drawn to ecological economics because it's, it's so clear that these kind of tools and methods are needed. And so I think you've seen an interesting um, development. Um, I was happy you had Lusanne on for a couple of weeks ago because there is this movement of people in my generation who are in this this wave of, of rethinking and, and friend groups um, that are now switching from post-Keynesian economics to this ecological macroeconomics of trying to apply what we've learned there to the question of climate change. Uh, and so that's that's sort of what I'm doing in my, trying to do in my research at least. Uh, but but that really is something you see in the younger rethinkers now, the, the people coming in at 18, 19 years old, just learning what economics is for the first time and seeing not why don't we move the aggregate demand curve, but oh my God, why would you want more growth? There's there's sort of such a crazy world that we're coming into. Um, and so I think that this this change and this responsiveness of what precisely is wrong with economics, given the the specific crisis that you're that you're dealing with at a given time, calls for different methods. And that's where I think ecological economics is something I personally have been trying to learn a lot more about. I think the, the idea of embeddedness is, is clearly the correct starting point. Then it's just a question of what kind of tools do we need to, to learn to play with? Are we looking at material flows, energy flows, um, sort of how, how do we count that? How do we deal with that? How do we put that into financial models? Um, and so at a level of education, I think it's actually quite an interesting, quite an interesting moment to be in because there's also this whole new world of blending different types of heterodox theories. Um, as I was saying, post-Keynesian ecological coming together, but I think there's also a lot of work with the other schools, institutionalists, the feminist, Marxist, coming together to at least analyze this question of, of what on earth is going on with the world's ecology. Um, and then, of course, finding themselves needing all kinds of help from ecological economics there. So it, it's quite a say not a not a cool time but a very interesting time academically to, to see a lot of things that had been in separate camps really coming together over this question of climate change and how we use our collective knowledge as as pluralist or heterodox um economists to try to do something about that do you have any idea what
it's now a ped pedagogical um, mechanisms we can use for that. Like, for example, we try to introduce um, um, this kind of um, <clears throat> transformational methodology in order to, to make students think differently and, and have completely different mindsets. Because I think it's also a question of changing mindsets. Um, so do you have any other recommendations or, or, or things that come up in your research that might, might be a valid tool or, or, or method to use? I think a very useful buzzword that, that we as a, a student movement have latched onto is critical thinking, um, because it's something that is very much acknowledged as a, an objectively good thing by universities and departments and, and even national educational departments. Um, it's it sort of everyone gets up and says, we want critical thinking. Um, and so it then creates a space for us as students to do the work of going through our exams, going through our syllabuses, going through our textbooks and going question by question, does this promote critical thinking or does this hurt critical thinking? Uh, and, and we've had some really interesting results with that. So some listeners may be familiar with the book, The Econocracy, which was published by a number of rethinking members from Manchester a handful of years ago now. But they, they literally went through the, the test questions from seven or eight different economics departments in the UK and just tried to classify everything based on whether the question required any level of critical thinking from the students. Uh, and the, the results were not great, as, as you might expect, that the vast majority was just memorization and trying to recreate models. So I think that at a very high level, that's that's a goal that we've latched onto, both because it's something we believe in, but also because it fits within the existing system of universities. And it's not something that we have to introduce to them. Um, I think we have a lot of excitement about other more like deeper learning methods, but at least just say, okay, critical thinking, and then everyone kind of knows what you're talking about. Um, how do you actually do it? Again, there's, there's sort of different levels. So on a, a fairly basic level, even just asking to take the models that you're learning and apply them to something. Um, so if you are learning that aggregate demand, aggregate supply model uh, that I was mentioning earlier, say, okay, apply that to what happened in 2008, 2010. What, how does this look like in the real world? What actually happened? What were the results of that? How does that validate or, or invalidate the model? Um, that having students not even necessarily have to set it up as a traditional debate of, okay, Marxists versus neoclassicals versus Keynesians, but even just trying to take what you're learning and, and apply it to something else. Um, I think that's kind of the first step. I think there's way more steps that are a lot more fun. So one thing that we've done a lot of work with is role-playing games. Uh, so we've, we've created this workshop where you have very short readings about different schools of economic thought, and then we give them to the groups. We say, okay, now you are the complexity economist. You're the behavioral economist. You're the feminist. And now we have this problem. Uh, your, your city, your small town is now going to have to host the Olympics. Uh, and so you have eight years to get the economy looking beautiful before the entire world comes in. As feminist economists, what do you have to say about that? The mayor is asking. Uh, and then students go off and think about it. And they, they come up with different ideas and proposals. And I think that it's it's a good starting point and something that you can really do a lot more with in a classroom context where you actually have time to go through week by week and get more in depth with these ideas. Um, so that's kind of the the tip of the iceberg. But I think that there's a lot of a lot of things that allow students 
to bring themselves into the picture and the conversation and to think not just what does this abstract model say, but what does this mean for me and my personal life and my opinions and my values? Say, okay, I come from a different part of the world. I come from a different class, a different race, a different gender. What does that mean? And how does that, how does that all impact uh, my place in the economy and my place within these models? Where on the supply curve am I? Um, and so I, I think there's, it's again, it's sort of a starting point, but it is a small thing that I would really love professors and particularly heterodox professors to try to do within their courses, even if they are stuck teaching basic macro and micro, to think how are there ways that you can go beyond go beyond just criticizing or critiquing the theories, but really try to add this this exper experiential learning level to it. We also try to use experiential learning when, when teaching ecological economics or, or, or degrowth. And, um, and our experience is, I mean, we have really exciting courses like, like one on degrowth when, when we have a, a citizen's jury and it runs as a citizen's jury. And the whole course is, is based on the idea of just running a citizen's jury with the students. Um, <clears throat> and um, um, we also have methods like uh, we use uh, theatrical action games um, and, and all sorts of innovative ideas. But what we run into is, um, is the problem that the current toolbox uh, higher education has is incapable of, of really um, embracing these new types of uh, uh, courses that try to aim at, at, at teaching critical thinking and, 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 and changing mindsets. For example, giving grades, you know, in, a, in, in such an environment, giving grades is, is, is almost nonsense because you can't really grade the transformation somebody has gone through. So, um, so have, have you in, in the Rethinking Economics or at Oikos thought of these kind of um, uh, changes where like institutional changes that could help these kind of innovations? Yeah, absolutely. And I think particularly this year when we've now had what close to two years of online education, uh, we, we're all very aware of the limitations placed on universities, uh, and particularly when we are coming in as students asking for something more and something new, and something that honestly can be quite resource intensive to try to try to do. Uh, and, and so that's something that that's always in the background. And and I think as a student movement, specifically as a student movement to reform economics education, we're very much aware of not trying to bite off more than we can chew of also being a movement to completely transform universities. Um, but it, it is there and there, there's definitely, um, it's something that you have to aware, be aware of the context that you're working in. And again, there's very different contexts here of if you're at like a large public university where your first economics class might have a thousand students in it. Uh, and I'm not saying that there's nothing you can do with that as a teacher, but it's very different than than sort of context if you're at a small liberal arts university in the US where you might have 12 students in some of your intro classes. Um, and, and then just in terms of the number of professors and the, the ability to completely remake these classes, something like what you're talking about of having a, a citizen's jury as a class 
it, it sounds both incredible, but a lot of work to set up and a lot more work than just here's ManQ, go, go and teach intro to economics. I mean, not to say anyone can do that, but, but it is set up in a sense that anyone should be able to do that. So that's also something we've been thinking a lot about as a student movement is how can we help professors and particularly young researchers. I think particularly now that a lot of us are becoming in our early 30s and starting to, to realize like, oh, I have to teach a class. It's not so easy um, that we're starting to try to think, how can we create some of these materials? How can we have something about ecological economics that is as easy to teach as ManQ? Um, and again, it takes a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of coordination. Um, but that is that is the goal. And that's something that, that we, we kind of have in mind. Uh, and it's also a good place for a lot of cooperation between different groups. So um, we've kind of mentioned I have a habit of being rethinking economics and Oikos International, but there's a lot of other groups in the German speaking world. There's the Pluralist Network in France, there's PEPS. And then in the US, you have the Institute for New Economic Thinking and the Young Scholars Institute or Young Scholars Initiative. Um, and, and so this this big tapestry really of different groups that are all pointing in the same direction um when you combine that then with all of the academic associations so the the different european society for ecological economics international society for ecological economics all of these different groups there's a lot of people and there's a lot of a lot of time that could be devoted to trying to make these to make to take teaching very seriously i guess as a um as, as a movement, a, a sort of an organize, organizing principle of how do we treat an undergrad education as one of the most important things that we as a movement can do. Um, and then if we're able to get to that level, then starting to coordinate, okay, do we need new textbooks? Do we need new teaching guides? Do we need videos, online classes? What What is sort of the needs? Um, and how do they specifically relate to your original question of the limitations at universities um, and sort of trying to figure that out? So. I think that that's that's kind of where we are, and and very much agreeing with with the with the limited nature of what can be done at universities currently. But instead of trying to go down the path of changing universities first, so we can then change economics, we're very much focused on on trying to do what we can with the system we have, while also helping other actors who are are trying to change the broader university system. Do you think there is a momentum? Yeah, no, I, yes, I definitely think there is a momentum. I think that, that, so I, I have, um, there, there's sort of a, a game almost within the, the pluralist student movement of trying to date who can say they were the first to, to be doing pluralism and economics. And so is it is it PEPs in France? Is it the German network in the early 2000s? Is it the post-autistic movement in France? Or does it go all the way back to Australia in the 1970s and, and sort of how far back do we put it? And, and I think that, that that vision of this as trying to reform economics education is something we've been talking about for 50 years at least now. Um, and only now in the last five years have we gotten to the point where there are hundreds of student groups all across the world on every continent except Antarctica um, that are, are organizing and having lectures and having talking to the professors and really trying to do something. Um, there's sort of a gap between that and when everything then changes and we're not there yet and we recognize that. But we are at that exciting point where you can start to see the examples of little things changing uh, of a university except adapting a new class here or a new university starting to try to to have a new economics department going in this direction. And so I, I think that 
we're we're at a better point than we've ever been and that's that's sort of a good a good thing to recognize and that as i was saying earlier this the the really shocking reality of the climate crisis has has given us a whole new a whole new direction and a whole new energy um, and I think it's also brought a lot of our movements together. Um, so you, you'd mentioned also, I, I work with the Oikos International. And so our, our mission is economics and management education purposed for a sustainable world. And so for the first 20 years of, of Oikos's existence, that was very focused on ecological issues and environmental issues. But in the last 10 years, it's, it's really come to encompass everything really. I mean, social and ecological. Um, whereas on the other side, rethinking started very much focused on economic issues, but it's now come to realize that, that environmental and, and ecological issues are just as important. And so you've had this sort of coming together in mission and scope of a lot of the different organizations working in this space. And I think that that's, that's quite an important step of, of realizing what we need to do together and realizing how we can we can come together to really sort of get past the point of just building momentum and get to the point of actually having large rapid system change which which is at least how we're we're thinking and what we've been wanting do you have any next bold moves in your uh, up your sleeves because uh, i think um for example hanging these theses on on the gate of lse was a really effective call do you have anything uh similar coming up yeah, I think the interesting thing about the the thesis at LSE is that it's it's very effective with some people. I think that a lot of academic economists would look at this and, and think, oh, I'm not interested. This is sort of performative theater. It's it sort of doesn't have anything to do with me. Um, whereas a lot of other economists would say, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. There's someone else out there. Um, and it's it was also a really good way to get non-economists interested to have people in the media say, wait a minute, there's something so weird going on in economics that they're they're nailing things to the doors. Like that that's something worth noticing. Um, and so that's that's something, this question of communication channels and how do you speak to people where they are is something we take quite seriously. And so I, I think one of the things that we've been really um focused on is talking to academics in academic language. Um, so yes, we we can we can have a protest um, one of my favorites was uh, i believe this was a group in the netherlands had a funeral for homo economicus where they carried his coffin around the campus ringing bells and singing out the end of the end of his reign of terror um, and, and that's very effective to speak to students but again with academics that same group then turns around and writes a report where they go line by line through all of the different course offerings at every university in the netherlands and say okay this there's economic history taught at say 3% of universities. Um, and there's sort of this much percentage is given to statistics. Uh, and that really seems to move them. They like to talk about that. They like when you come with data, um, especially data you can do regressions on, suddenly you've started a conversation. Um, and so an answer to the, what's the next big thing coming? Uh, we have a book that will be launched in the end of October, October 28th, I believe is their, their launch date called Econom Economy Studies. Uh, so this was two guys from the Netherlands who did this big review of, of economic teaching in the Netherlands, came up with all of their criticisms to say, okay, well, we we're, we don't have enough of this, there's too much of that. And all of the economics professors said, okay, what should we do? 
and they did not know what they should do. They did not have a plan for, for that question. So they went away and wrote a book about it. And what they've come up with is this handbook for how to design an economics education. And it really tries to break economics into the, the core building blocks of different types of knowledge that are necessary, or at least very useful for someone to have if they want to study the economy. And then as an educator, you can try to decide what kind of class am I teaching? Is this sort of a standard macro class for university students? Am I trying to talk to a local union? Am I trying to do an economics module in an ecological course? Um, and sort of, and then pick from that what you need. And hopefully, I haven't seen the final book yet, but hopefully they, they're supposed to have all of these different um, resources to directly guide you to where you need to go and really make it as easy as possible. Um, so that's economy studies coming coming within the next month. And that's that's something we're quite excited about. And it also, again, back to the idea of trying to connect the student movement with professors, particularly sympathetic professors. It gives us another thing that we can offer to say, look, we know it is not easy to completely redesign your entire program, let alone sort of going course by course. So here's here's a start. Here's a guide. And now we would love to meet with you. We would love to have a workshop. We'd love to come to your university um, and use this as a starting point to, to really start these conversations, but start these conversations with a clear framework that can lead to changes and really a clear framework that can lead us to having a, a different economics curriculum at the end. So that's what's coming in the next couple of months. Um, I'm sure there's more. There's all, there's so much going on. It's The movement's gotten so big that it's hard to see everything all at once, which is great. It's really, really a good, good development. So far, we have covered the need for change um, with um, economics educators and, 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 and the system itself. What about students? Do you think students need to change to a certain extent to be able to cope with these new approaches? My first thought would be no, mainly because the students change every three years and that there's, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to think about how such a transient body can be part of the problem, a part of a systemic problem like that. Um, I, I think the, the kind of caveat or the, the asterisk there would be Economics is kind of a weird discipline in terms of the kind of students who show up here. Um, and I had a professor who broke this down once. A third of the students are here to get rich. They think economics will make them a lot of money. Um, a third of the students are here because they want to change the world and they think economics will help them make a better world. And a third of the students have no idea why they're here and they just signed up for economics because it sounded nice or because their parents told them to. Um, and that sure you have diversity in any field but it is kind of a, a weird i don't want to say conflict but at least a weird difference between students who kind of frankly fall into the kind of rethinking world of we're really trying to to build a better discipline and a discipline that can be useful to society um and so that's our starting point from which we then need to change the discipline to another set of students who have have different priorities, but priorities that, are, that can be complementary. They're not necessarily conflictual. And I actually quite like this diversity of students. I think it's okay that we have different people that come to economics for different reasons. Uh, it's just a question of how do we make sure that what we do with their time in education leaves them in a better place than where they started. 
And there's all of these studies about how economics or business education makes you more selfish or can make you into a, a less empathetic person. And that's exact opposite of what we want. I think that we need we need to recognize that it is okay that there are some people in this world who want to make money um, and that our job as economists should be able to give them a broad set of tools to understand how their life and how their career fits into a bigger picture and how that bigger picture affects other people and affects the environment and the ecology. Um, and so that at least when they go into their careers, they have this understanding of where their place in society is. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of my thought on the students of economics and that sometimes the, uh, it's, it's fine to admit that there can be conflicts between types of students studying economics, um, but it's also nice. It's nice sometimes to have a diversity there. To close out this episode, I'm asking you the question I ask all my guests, what is your rebellion? So my undergraduate education, I felt I was constantly being taught the most boring things imaginable by the most interesting people I'd ever met. Uh, and I couldn't understand it. And so I, I suppose for the last however many years, I've been rebelling against whatever system made those those really incredible professors have to teach something that they they thought was so boring and that came out as so boring. Um, and so I, I've really been trying to to do something to to fix the education. And, and, and I know that there's there's sort of a much bigger role that economics and economics education plays within the economy and within our society. Uh, but at a level, this is also a student movement and it comes from student experiences and our frustrations. Uh, and so for me, I've been rebelling against that frustrating moment from well, about 10 years ago now um, of just seeing how difficult it was for these people who wanted to do their best to give us the best education, to see all of these unnamed forces that they were fighting against, uh, things that were bigger than them, things outside of their control. So trying to do what I can to, to rebel against that system and make something that that is uh, a little easier to, to have a nice edu economics education. Thank you very much, um, Christa, Jay Christopher, and thanks to all of you for spending time with us. Stay tuned with us for our next episode. Bye, Jay Christopher. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. If you like the conversation and your work is related to ecological economics in any discipline, consider becoming a member of our society to stay connected. If you are ready to discuss the topic, join our Facebook group called European Society for Ecological Economics. Thank you.